This is the Learning to Lead podcast, episode number 75. episode number 75 of the Learning to Lead podcast. This episode is coming to you from our breakfast series. We recently had Daniel Bull, who's the founder of 068, speak at our breakfast, and he was absolutely incredible. Um, Before we go into Daniel's talk, I just want to mention a few things. Uh, Number one is this is uh, something somewhat new. Daniel's talk is actually going to be broken into two parts. Uh, On this episode, you'll get to hear Daniel's actual talk at the breakfast, and then in episode number 76, which will be released at the same time as this, you'll hear our question and answer session with Daniel. We've been hosting Learning to Lead Breakfast for over a year now, and we've really discovered that people really, really, really enjoy the question and answer session, so we've been really trying to put, uh, make more time for those during our breakfast. So as long as it makes sense and we get the time we need in Q&A, I'll split the two between episodes, and so... If you'd like to listen to the question and answer session um, with Daniel, you can go to l3leadership.org forward slash episode 76. Again, that's l3leadership.org forward slash episode 76. Or if you subscribe to this in iTunes and Stitcher, you can just check it out in the next episode. So uh, that's new and exciting. Uh, Number two, I just want to thank Bistro to Go on the north side of Pittsburgh for being the host of our breakfast. Uh, They're an incredible restaurant with a mission. They're changing lives in Pittsburgh and creating great food while they do it. Um, And you can check them out at bistroandcompany.com. And I'll leave a link for that in the show notes, but we really appreciate everything they do for us. And if you are looking for corporate catering and you're in the Pittsburgh area, you should definitely check them out. Uh, They have an amazing catering business. So thank you, Bistro. Uh, Number three, to check out future L3 leadership events, go to l3leadership.org forward slash event. Um, You can check out all the breakfasts that we have coming up. You can register for those and just see what we're doing. And then lastly, as always, if you'd like what we're doing, I'd like to ask you to sign up for our email list, which you can sign up for at l3leadership.org. And for this podcast, if you could subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever you use to listen to this, I would really appreciate it. It helps us spread this podcast organically. The thing I love about podcasting and creating content is you never know who you're going to reach. You never know who's listening to this. And so uh, if you can help us get the word out, that would be great. So that's all the announcements I have for you. Let's get into Daniel's talk. Um, In this talk, I don't want to spoil too much, but Daniel's going to share his story. I met Daniel uh, just over a month ago, and he shared a story, and and it was just absolutely incredible, and I knew I had to have him speak at um, our breakfast, and he did, and I'm so glad we did. He added so much value to us, and he's just such an an incredible guy, guy, and um, I love what God did in Dan's life and his story, and I love what God's currently doing in and through Daniel's life. And that's really the only uh, introduction I want to give because I want you to hear Daniel's story from him. Um, But get ready to have your mind blown and uh, really be humbled as well. And so enjoy the talk. And again, the question and answer will be in the next episode. And I'll come back at the end of the episode just to wrap things up with a few announcements. Thanks for listening. Enjoy Daniel's talk. Good morning. Good morning. Doug's an amazing guy, I'll tell you what, and uh, he's really generous with his compliments, um, but rarely am I asked to tell both my personal story, my, my testimony, and also what we're doing um, professionally or in entrepreneurship. Um, I usually intermingle them a little bit, but by Doug's request, he's asked me to get into a little bit more of the details 
of the mistake and move into how that mistake has now changed my entire course of uh, my life and what I care about and the things that I hold dear. So um, who here has ever made a mistake? Okay. So some of you are shy and then some of you have made mistakes. All of you have made mistakes. And um, mistakes come in all shapes and sizes. They come in all types of how long that mistake continues on, the ripple effect of what those mistakes are. And mistakes are important. In fact, I think Doug just wrote a blog about mistakes um, and that sometimes the worst mistake you, you, you make is not making them, you know, not taking chances. And I was certainly one when I was in business who had no problem taking chances. And one chance led to another chance. And uh, to get into the story, I started, I don't even know where to begin because this could go on for a long time. Um, I started a company called Venture Advisors. And I saw a need in the venture capital community um, to help accredited investors better allocate their investments in the private sector. So what I mean is when they invest in private companies, there are a lot of really wealthy people not paying attention to what marketplaces they were investing in. And I saw this opportunity to help them understand their risk exposure to ensure that their asset allocation was not just all in medical and all in you know, XYZ sprocket companies, that they had this balance. And in that balance, when one industry failed, such as the real estate market that hit everyone very, very hard, they would have another sector that typically acts in reverse and is doing well, which balances out their portfolio. So believe it or not, um, just because you have a lot of money or a lot of privilege does not make you a very smart investor. And so there was a great need. And I happened to meet the right people at the right time and ran a wave that started a really incredible company and opportunity. But I was a risk taker. And I always had my eyes on the horizon rather than what was in front of me. So when I had my family growing, I was too busy growing, I was too busy growing my business. And when my business where it was now, though I could have said, wow, we've really been successful, I was too busy focused on how we're going to be bigger and how I'm going to make more and how I'm going to accumulate more you know, of that respect that I wanted from others. I always felt like I just needed to be higher and doing better. And that's a really bad mentality. And uh, in Doug, when Doug and I interviewed, we, we kind of went into the depth of that. And really what it comes down to is pride. And I had a great deal of it, a great deal of arrogance and pride and greed. So when my company started failing, and though we were bringing in money, we were never bringing in enough. And I was also in a position where I was holding millions of dollars, non-allocated, waiting for private placement. And so when push came to shove, and I remember, I remember the day, I was actually playing with my newborn uh, baby, and I was on the carpet and I just had all this stress, and I knew payroll was gonna bounce. I knew payroll was going to be pulled in 72 hours, and I was gonna have to explain myself. And so I went into one of the escrow accounts that we were holding, and in particular of that escrow account was money that was being held for some of my closest friends. And I transferred that money into our employee sweep account and made payroll. Nothing happened. Life went on. Police didn't knock my door down immediately. 
I got away with it. And about two weeks later, a very big commission check came in for the company, and I replaced the money, and I moved on. I, wow. You know, that stress was gone, and I was good for a while. But guess what? It happened again, because I was always pushing. I was never scaling. I was never sustaining. And so I did it again. But this time, the big commission check that I was expecting wasn't as big. And I started creating a hole, and it went back and forth. With that stress and knowing that I was intentionally stealing and or misappropriating money, I started making other really bad decisions. And those decisions came not just from the business sense, but just my moral sense of how I was living my life. The character that I had was just crumbling, and it crumbled fairly quickly once I started making those particular mistakes. And I found myself a complete opposite of how I was raised. You see, going back, how all this started, I couldn't tell you because I was raised in the church. I was raised by godly parents. I was raised um, to respect in people. I had a great deal of confidence. I was always told how, how, what great things were ahead of me, so that's kind of where maybe some of my arrogance came from. So humble your, humble your children. Humble them. Humble them. Uh, but, you know, I had opportunity constantly. If I wanted to play sports, go for it. Play sports. I played ice hockey, great. Played baseball, great. And I, it, it was every opportunity you could imagine. So when I went to college, I chose, and I think this is a little bit of arrogance, I asked what the hardest major was. Mechanical engineering, that's what I want to be. <laughs> I always wanted a challenge, and so I became a mechanical engineer. So I had education. I had a great family. Um, I, my family was always honest, and yet I still created in my own self, through my own issues, right? No one else. Um, that arrogance, that pride, that, that attitude of kind of misappropriating the truth, exaggerating just enough to impress people to get to the next stage, those lies. Um, so when I looked back, and I had broken my covenants, my covenant of marriage. I had broken my covenants to my business partners. I had broken the law, and no one knew yet. I just had a complete breakdown, and I stopped showing up. And I left my home, and I left my family, and I ran. And when I ran, it, very quickly people realized we need to start looking at what's going on, and they found money missing. They found just an array of lies. So here I am. You raise your hand. You have mistakes. And I just shared with you my worst series of mistakes in my life. Because I am a felon. And this is not an uncommon thing that I have to share. I have to share pretty consistently and pretty quickly with perfect strangers the worst thing I ever did. And I have to do that because when you eventually create a crime and you're prosecuted, not telling someone is seen as just a big of a lie. And so they, people feel like they want to know. But yet, you all know that you don't have to do that. And that's okay. Either you didn't get caught or only a small net circle, you've been able to contain it. But a felon doesn't have that opportunity. So um, I don't, I'm going to skip because I, I only have so much time. And I have a timer actually here that I'm watching. Um, once I take a look, know where I am. I was prosecuted. And I went to prison. I went to federal prison. I went to a low security prison. So for those of you, there, is the, there are these 
mysterious. There are these magical places that you may have heard of called uh, camps where there's tennis and pools and these white-collar criminals <laughs> sipping on fresh-squeezed orange juice. I have not seen that promised land. Okay? Um, but what I did see shocked me. And what I saw was a perfect image microcosm of society behind bars with a great deal of op- with a great deal of skill sets to offer everyone else give, given no opportunity. And what I mean is I met people who were really kind, who looked after me, who showed me the ropes even though I the whole time thought I'm clearly being set up because I had all these ideas. I remember the first person that talked to me, he ended up being my greatest friend. I just thought for sure, here, here it starts. This guy's going to try to con me out of everything. He's trying to take me for everything I'm worth. And that's not the case. And that was, there's very few that I ran into where that was their focus. Probably about just as many as you run into on the street. Because there's always someone trying to take you for all your worth on the street here. And there's always a lot of people who really just want to give you a hand up. Or a nice smile. And that shocked me because um, I was pretty sure I was going to have to be in a fight within the first 10 minutes. I was ready. I watched every episode of Prison Break. I watched, which I recommend not doing if you're currently in a uh, prosecuted situation. Don't watch Discovery Channel uh, hard time documentaries. I went in ready. And I found out a couple months later, people were absolutely terrified of me. Because <laughs> they were like, that guy is crazy. He's just ready to go at the drop of a hat. But I learned a lot, and I lost a lot. And while I was in prison, uh, my divorce uh, was finalized with my wife. And I lost all rights and custody of my children. I formalized my bankruptcy, lost all my assets. Um, my reputation was gone, and I was left with my mom. Love moms. I was left with my dad, my sister, and my aunt. And my college roommate, who just, crazy dude, would drive 10 hours to come and visit me. Just, uh, but that was, my, that was my world that was left, that I hadn't just completely destroyed with my lies and my theft. So prison, for me, was a real opportunity to detox myself to walk through every step I had made to where I thought I was a leader and in reality um, I was just a liar. And walking through, I really had no one to blame but myself. I wanted things to blame. I wanted to say, well, it was this you know, lawsuit that prevented that income from coming in or it was, it was this bad salesperson or it was, you know, I was just trying to help people. I wanted to create every excuse I could to block my failure, but eventually I got to where I needed to be, to where I realized what has happened has happened, that I have a great deal of issues I need to, I need to work out, and um, I'm not as infallible as I once thought I was. And more importantly, is I'm guilty of everything that I am serving my time for. That was a big moment. And the big, the big opportunity was I was eliminated from all these distractions that kind of keep you going, keep you lying. You know, it's easy out here to just kind of hold on to those little things, that little reputation, you know, and and, and thinking that's who you are. And when uh, you're in prison, you have just nothing to hold on to. So it's a good thing for me. It's a good thing for a lot of people in there. But the bad thing is that you don't have any opportunity when you're out. And that really bugged me. What happened to me was justice, but I met a lot of people 
who just had no justice because I was going to be coming out with a second chance. But let me tell you, a majority of those serving a great deal of time in prison never had a first chance. Not one. They did not have that home. They did not have that education opportunity. They certainly couldn't just play whatever sport, drop in, drop out, whatever they wanted. Um, And I had to recognize that people who I was meeting would give anything to be me when they were released. With all the experience, even though I was so feeling sorry for myself, people would love to be me on that, be their platform when they were released. And so I felt a great deal of responsibility. And that responsibility came through conviction. And it came through the conviction of me having not known the truth, the spiritual truth, of, having to, of the importance of living for something greater than yourself and having made the choice to say, no, I'm going to live for me. I want to be successful. I want to be important. So when I met God again in the absolute bottom place, I felt free. I still had six months to serve in my sentence, but I actually felt peace. And that last six months couldn't have flown by faster because I, was, I stopped hating, I stopped feeling sorry, and I recognized where I was. And it's, it was almost like, it, it was like this ongoing conversation. It really was. You know how they say, like, just, it's okay to talk to yourself, but when you start answering yourself, that's when you know you're a little crazy? (laughs) I felt like I was answering myself a lot, but also I felt God was really talking to me, and he was building within me the motivation to not just leave this place of prison and, and move on. I knew that my penance, so to speak, my responsibility, the opportunity of God taking complete chaos and turning it into order was to make an impact in this impossible, dis- desperate environment, the environment of re-entry and incarceration. And it became, quite, it became a new passion. And rather than accumulating dollars, souls and lives changed and opportunities created is how I count uh, the success that I'm living for. And so inside prison, which eventually translated outside prison, I started an incubator or an idea think tank called 068. And 068, um, we named it that because in prison it actually has a meaning. I got a 068-er, a couple of them right here. Um, But when you go to federal prison, it's no longer your name. It's your number. And my number was 3306106068. And that 068 told everyone, he's from Pittsburgh. So you guys got the 412 t-shirts? That's nothing. (laughs) You want to be hardcore, you got to get a 068 t-shirt because then you are... You know. You know. And so that homeboy mentality, we looked for others. We helped people in the 050, the 092. We looked for people in the 025. Um, We helped many, but we called ourselves 068 because it started with three people from Pittsburgh who had very much a great deal of business um, background, helping others refine their plan for reentry. And uh, you have to have a plan. A lot of guys... I don't even know where to begin with that plan. Other than their plan is just to not make a mistake. That's a bad plan. So we started doing these plans, and when I got out, I incorporated in September of 2013 so that I could actually um, partner with, without breaking my restrictions, 
because I was in venture capital, I stole money, so I have a great deal of restrictions with the Securities Commission and the State Securities Commission and FINRA and a few other organizations. <laughs> but I, I set myself up legally so that I could help others start businesses. I saw entrepreneurship for those that I met in prison as a viable option. Now, you might think, how could, how could an industry that has an 80% failure rate be a viable option for um, individuals coming out of prison. Well, let me tell you, that 80% failure rate isn't so bad odds when you have a 92% unemployment rate three years out of prison for federally incarcerated. Actually, entrepreneurship sounds pretty good now. Um, but also, entrepreneurship's a viable option because there's really smart, talented, entrepreneurial people in prison. This isn't taking them and stretching them outside of what skills they actually have. In fact, um, you might already recognize that there's a great deal of logistical talent needed to be a good drug dealer. A lot of people recognize that. I mean, imagine having to figure out where you get your product, how you finance that product, how you distribute and cut that product, how you maintain the income and cash from those who are distributing it, and all at the same time, you can't tell anybody but a very small network what you're doing. That's actually pretty darn difficult. Um, you could run a coffee shop, no problem. <laughs> okay, but once you make those mistakes, you don't have the options to get those loans, to get that backing, to have people stand alongside you and do that. And since you don't have those opportunities, since you've been cut out of the exclusive club of entrepreneurship, I figured, well, I'll do that. I'll be a bridge. And so we launched our first business in September when I incorporated under 068. And it was a straw. And we had this repeat offender, autistic savant genius. Ladies, he invented a hair dryer that is completely soundless, that only loses 2% of volume. That is a real invention of his. I said, that's complicated. Let me hear about your straw. And he invented a straw that's just like any other straw. And except for one thing, it had a pinch inside the straw. The pinch is called a throttle. And it had a hole inside the straw which is called a vent. And thermodynamically, and this is where my mechanical engineering geek is about to come out, thermodynamically what he has done is he's caused a pressure differential as long as an aeration situation, which meant when you sucked through this straw, which felt like any normal straw, it rapidly cooled boiling water to ambient room temperature by the time it touched your lips. No special materials. I mean, you can't physically burn yourself with this straw. And then we found out if you suck freezing cold ice water or whatever it may be out of it, it's ambient warm when it touches your lips. It rapidly, it rapidly changes the differential of temperature. I'm sorry, I really need water. I'm getting cotton mouth. It rapidly changes the differential of temperature to room, to room temperature um, just by you sucking through it. It's, it's genius. It was genius. And it came from a repeat offender who did all of his time in an Arizona prison, that very famous one where they wear pink underwear and just move blocks, you know, the toughest sheriff and that one, which is a hilarious story, by the way. Just, but the, he, he was so creative that it was just always so much easier for him to find a way around the rules to make money or do, do something than it was to follow the rules. And of course, guess what? He came from the what you would expect, a past where he had no father in his life teaching him this way or that, a mother who was strung out on drugs, but yet he was this creative mind who dropped out of school. So 
he was just an example of many, many, many people I met. We got behind his technology. We received a full utility patent on that straw. And what we didn't even realize, well, later on we eventually realized, but inside the straw community, a $6 billion industry, <laughs> there are two utility patents. Two. Two patents that have sub-patents underneath that basically control the entire market. Now there's three. That's a really big deal. And almost immediately after receiving that patent, he received um, investment, partnership, manufacturing contracts, and he's driving motocross bikes in his new backyard. <laughs> That's what he's doing. That's what he wanted to do. Um, I'm, trying to, lady, so I'm trying to do the hair dryer thing with him, but I can't get his attention. He's just completely like, this is amazing. Um, and that's created, that created an opportunity for 068 to make other investments, other partnerships, really. And um, now we have nine partnerships. Our most recent partnership is a workforce development slash prefab construction partnership. I guess some of my guys here today, they surprised me. It's called Work Pittsburgh. And... What we wanted to do at 068 is we wanted to make more strategic investments in areas that made ripple impact, a ripple impact into the re-entry environment. We wanted to hire individuals um, who, hey, maybe running a business wasn't even in their dream yet, but they certainly want to have an upward mobility career. There are certain careers in construction that are just, man, it, you can just really take it. Once you learn the basics, then you learn, then you become a master, and then you can start your own contractor. It's just it's, it's a true sky's the limit. And Pittsburgh has an affordable housing crisis. So we recognize this affordable housing crisis. And by crisis, I mean there's 25,000 homes not available inside the income markets or income brackets or income levels that our city needs. And so you have a slumlord big problem. Um, home ownership is an opportunity for many, many people, no matter what their financial situation in Pittsburgh, it just, of course, it has to, the cost has to meet what they can afford. And so we started a prefab construction company that has reduced the cost of construction on residential by 15 to 20%, and we just got started. And we're building affordable homes while at the same time giving upward mobility careers and opportunities to new craftsmen coming out of prison. And we're doing that in partnership with the city and the unions, well, maybe kind of the unions, they're watching. Um, the Workforce Investment Board and many others. And so I, I share a little bit about 068. We have nine portfolio companies now. We're about to start our 10th. It's a juice and coffee company. It's called Safi. We're really excited. It's going to get started next quarter. Um, they're going to have three carts all over the city in Shenley Park and Market Square and the other one to be determined. Um, and all this is going on and happening because people are starting to see the value um, in those that we were more comfortable thinking maybe they don't have much to offer us. The reason I think we're a little comfortable thinking they don't have much to offer us is because how do we wrap, wrap our minds around the fact that there's 2.4 million people incarcerated today, right now, this moment, in this country? And to put it to perspective, that is 30% more than were incarcerated during the height of Stalin's reign with the gulag. To put that into perspective, the, the number used to be 2.1 million, new census turned into 2.4 million. To put it into perspective, that's over 16 million working man hours that are lost every single day. 
16 million working man hours can build two Hoover dams every day. So in terms of infrastructure that our country so desperately needs, the lack of skilled workforce that our country is constantly mentioning, and it, in Pittsburgh there's this mantra that there's all these jobs available, we just can't find people to fill it. Why People are looking in the wrong place. And so my goal is not necessarily starting a million businesses. My goal is not creating a million jobs. My goal is just taking the jobs that are already out there and encouraging employers to understand the barriers that those reentering society have, but also the skills they can provide their organizations. And I knew the only way to do that was to first start by doing it myself. And then convince one company to do it, which we have. Then convince two other companies to do it, which we have. And um, we see this year, 2015, 2016, as a banner year for us in creating this awareness piece. And so we've hired a full-time, we hired a full-time social worker, and we train them on how to be a human resource individual. Because in reentry, you need that balance of understanding that these barriers aren't necessarily created by the individual. They're created by the system that is trying to contain them from recidivizing back to jail. See, recidivism in Pittsburgh is a 77% problem. There have been statistics thrown out all over this month that I've been reading in the newspaper saying 50%, 60%, they're wrong. I know the statistics. We measure them. We're a very metric-driven organization. They're 77% here in Pittsburgh, District 3. Uh, and that means they're going back to jail within three years. Um, and if you look at what the issues are, why they're fired, why they end up going back to the streets, they have little to do with that individual not having wanted to change, but having more to do with that individual not having opportunity. So I've stream of consciousness for you, Doug. You probably are like, this guy was so much more organized when we were sitting in his car. Um, but I'm giving you this, this, this bubble to speak from. And hopefully we can hash out maybe your ideas and questions through the Q&A um, that I'm about to open up. But I will leave it with this. I shared with you the worst thing I've ever done. And I always leave people, if I'm going to share with you the worst thing I've ever done, I'm going to share with you the best thing I've ever done. Seeking forgiveness from those I hurt was an essential step that we encourage everyone to do that we are with for just re-entering and starting a new life. Shedding the guilt not only in yourself, but the pain that someone else is still experiencing but whatever it is a criminal has done. And so I, I did that. And I can say that of the nine people who actually lost money, who I hurt financially, eight of them I call friends again. And of my, my ex-wife, who I lost trust and respect, we were remarried in September of last year. And if you don't believe in miracles, that was certainly one. But the second miracle that came from it was when both Nicole and I prayed that we would never forget just the trap that the world puts us in of accumulation, of prestige, and of money. That we never forget the trap that was. And in God's great sense of humor, he granted us a son who was born on the exact day anniversary day of my release from prison 
And so we look at him, and we know every birthday, not only do we get to celebrate our restored marriage and our restored family and our beautiful three children, but we get to, on his birthday, we get to remind ourselves where we were. And I think um, if you know where, you're, where you were, um, it's going to be a lot easier to know where you're going. And so thank you for your time and your ears. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Dan's talk. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to find ways to connect with Dan and what he's doing through 068 and everything else he's doing, uh, you can go to the show notes at l3leadership.org forward slash episode 75 and you'll find all those links there. Uh, And remember, you can listen to our question and answer session from the breakfast in episode number 76, which can be found at l3leadership.org forward slash episode 76. So again, if you enjoyed the podcast today, I'd love it and appreciate it if you could subscribe, leave a rating and review. Uh, That'll really help us. And if you want to stay up to date with what we're doing, you can sign up for our email list at l3leadership.org. As always, I'd like to leave you with a quote, and I think this is a fitting quote giving Dan's story. Uh, But Tim Keller recently tweeted this, and I loved it. He said, Christianity isn't something that you add. It's an explosion that changes everything you had. And I just love that quote. I believe that's true. And I believe that's exactly what happened in Daniel's life. And I believe that's exactly what will happen in your life if you start putting God first. So uh, again, I hope you enjoyed the podcast and I'll talk to you next episode. Cheers.